0: Katie, how's it going?
1: Jesse, I am fully vaxxed. How are you doing?
0: I, too, am fully vaxxed as of today. How, how are you feeling?
1: I feel... I've- I feel fully vaxxed. That's, that's how I feel about it. Um, you know, I got I got a special vaccine just for podcasters. Um, so I assume, I think it was like Moderna plus Pfizer plus Johnson & Johnson plus AstraZeneca. It was all mixed up in one. Um, that's what I requested at least. I wanted to get a little bit of all of them. Um, but I'm still alive. My arms have not fallen off. My penis has not fallen off. As my 86-year-old neighbor said, he was uh, worried about, about happening to him. Um, so yeah, fully
0: vaxxed. I'm just looking forward. I feel like your lifestyle is not going to change that much because you're an island-dwelling dwe- recluse. Yeah. For me, when I think about, like, the last year, how many times I passed someone on the street and I've been like, I want to lick that person. And <laughs> and under normal circumstances, I would. And then like, fuck, COVID. Or I will often see on the streets of New York, like a half eaten slice of pizza that a rat or a pigeon is just fist- feasting on. I almost said fisting on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe that too.
0: And I'm like, under normal circumstances, I would just take it because it's free food. But God damn it, there could be COVID saliva. So this is really going to get me back to my normal life. And I'm looking forward to that.
1: Uh, Jesse, another thing that I'm not personally looking forward to, this isn't exactly my lifestyle, but I, I do know some people who are involved in this lifestyle. And I, I'm happy for them that things are going to get back to normal and that's that's the poly community
0: I I think so much about the poly community and I've been worried so much about them because you know people who are polyamorous it's hard to know how they're doing because they never really talk about it you don't know who's polyamorous (laughs) (laughs)
1: They engage in in what they call processing. It's like 90% of what you do if you're poly, I believe. It's like 10% having sex with other people, 90% talking (laughs) about your relationships. Um, But yes, I assume that it has been difficult in the poly community since COVID started. And uh, speaking of the poly community, I wanted to point you to a tweet that I saw this week from an account called Life After DSA. So that's life after the democratic socialists of America.
0: Did you see this one? Uh, yeah, but, but Ryan, well, and for anyone listening, DSA, Democratic Socialists of America is like, uh, you know, they're this lefty group that's had a resurgence in recent years. They do some good stuff. They're also very much associated with a certain brand of like bougie, neurotic white leftists. That's fair to say, right?
1: Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're annoying. That's what they are. Their DSA is annoying. They might have correct politics. I don't know. I probably agree with them on some, on some stuff. Don't on others, but they're like the overwhelming zeitgeist of DSA is annoying. Okay. So this tweet, April 21st from Life After DSA. Editor's note. We got word that all members of the executive committee of DSA Cincinnati are stepping down after defending a sexual abuser who they're in a polycule with. And the grievance officer assigned to the case was also in the polycule. We're not kidding. Um, and then it goes on. We won't wait. We won't weigh in on polycules, That's between you and your contacts list. But the committee accused survivors and some other members of transphobia, all to defend a sex abuser. Some members, they also, they, they accused were also trans and non-binary. We're still not getting <laughs> the next tweet. Can people in the polycule please stop threatening us? We get that you outnumber us, but it's not a good thing. Okay, so I have no idea if this is true or not. I reached out to the to Cincinnati to, to the Cincinnati DSA to get some sort of confirmation. They did not, surprise, respond to my DM, but it looks like uh, the poly community and the DSA community are having some drama.
0: How big are polycules usually?
1: I mean, I've only been on one polycule, and
0: it's just me and my wife and Moose. <laughs> okay, now can we say what podcast this is? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. I'm Jesse Single. What, uh, what's on the docket today? Okay,
1: today we're talking about... What are we talking about? You have a study you want to talk about?
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about the hyper racialization of everything. And, and we think that this segment could help end white supremacy.
1: But before that, we are going to talk about some drama in atheist land.
0: Ooh, I love atheist drama.
1: All right. So, Jesse, you
0: are familiar with Richard Dawkins. I am familiar with Richard Dawkins. He is an ornery old atheist and evolutionary biologist. Did I say ornery? I meant horny.
1: <laughs> he's both. He's both. Okay. So Richard Dawkins, author of The Selfish Gene, The God Delusion, uh, the coiner of the term meme. I guess we can blame him for that. <laughs> um, and he does not mean that in the sense of the, 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 the box with the text and the pictures that you see online. A meme is a unit of cultural transmission, the technical definition. So this week, the American Humanist Association, which is a big, uh, atheist group, uh, revoked an award they gave to Richard Dawkins in
0: 1996. They did. They they just took it away like that.
1: They sent someone to his house, took it off of his mantle, or took it off, <laughs> took it out of the the box it was stored in, in his <laughs> attic, probably.
0: These these atheist paratroopers just yes. <laughs> parachuted in. Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. So uh, the American Humanist Association. So they they issued a statement, and I'm just going to read you part of the statement. Regrettably, Richard Dawkins has, over the past several years, accumulated a history of making statements that use the guise of scientific discourse to demean marginalized groups and approach antithetical to humanist values. His latest statement implies that identities of transgender individuals are fraudulent, while also simultaneously attacking black identity as one that that can be assumed while convenient. And so what this is about, um, it goes back to a tweet that Dawkins published on April 10th. He said... In 2015, Rachel Dolezal, a white chapter president of the NAACP, was vilified for identifying as black. Some men choose to identify as women, and some women choose to identify as men. You will be vilified if you deny that they are literally what they identify as. Discuss. As you can imagine, there was lots of backlash for this.
0: (laughs) Just just discuss. Discuss. I'm just throwing it out there. Let's just see what happens.
1: Right. So, And this is a question that came up in 2015, quite frequently, uh, around Rachel Dolezal, and it is, I believe, a legitimate question. It's one that we've talked about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote a piece about a philosopher who basically – her uh, argument was uh, – Rebecca Tuval. 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 Um, her argument was like – she basically said the arguments you could use you use to accept transgender people as their uh, identified sex and gender, you, you could use the same argument to accept someone who is transracial. It was like a hypothetical philosophical argument but people lost their shit over this – the problem was no one was actually able to come up with like a, a real argument against it. It's just like this this you're not supposed to draw that comparison, but there's not like I say this as someone who like if there was such a thing as racial dysphoria, I'd be like, Okay, I let them identify however they want. I don't I don't think that's a real thing, but like philosophically or logically, there's no actual like ironclad argument against this. But so people freak out when you bring it up because they don't really I don't think they really have an answer to it. I don't know right
1: um and so after dawkins got a bunch of pushback on this two days later he tweeted i did not intend to disparage trans people i see that my academic disgust question has been misconstrued as such and i deplore this it was also not my intent to ally in any way with republican bigots in the u.s now exploiting this issue um however that uh didn't make much of a difference to the american humanist society and as previously mentioned they yanked his award right back um so They say in this statement, they say that Dawkins has a history of problematic statements. The only one that they really specify was this latest tweet about um, comparing trans people to Rachel Dolezal, or even asking the question. But Dawkins does um, have a history of of provocative tweets. Some of them are quite amusing. Um, Here's some of my favorites. This is from 2013. Saw Down and Out in Seattle last night. His sign said, not I need food or I need a job, but I need a fat bitch. What could this mean? (laughs) What could it possibly mean, Jesse? He loves those
0: questions. I know.
1: I I just want to talk about it. Just asking questions. Uh, Here's another one from 2015. Good idea to beam erotic videos to theocracies. Not violent women hating porn, but loving, gentle women respecting eroticism. Jesse, what do you think? Good idea?
0: This could really ease tensions in the Gaza Strip.
1: <laughs> yeah. What we need is some some sex-positive feminist porn beamed up from the sky.
0: Were those the two worst ones? Were there other worst ones?
1: Um, so those ones are just sort of funny. He does have some tweets that were definitely more, I would say, problematic. Um, and also in 2015, he tweeted – uh, is trans woman a woman? Purely semantic. If you define by chromosomes, no. If by self identification, yes. I call her she out of courtesy. That I agree with. <laughs> At the risk of. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's good.
0: Well, it's just it's just the, the that whole discourse is it's been going on for years now, and it's so dumb because everyone knows we're talking about two different definitions of the right. word, and it's like uses this weird sort of gotcha. But um, yeah, it's it's you're not. I, I, it's so it's just such an exhausting subject, but um, I'm glad Richard Dawkins got it. Yeah.
1: Um, here's another one from 2014. Date rape is bad. Stranger rape at uh, knife point is worse. If you think that's endorsement of date rape, go away and learn how to think. I got to say, I also agree with that one. Both are bad. I w- Wait.
0: Mm-hmm. Date rape is bad. Stranger rape is worse. Stranger
1: rape at knife point is worse. Jesse, yeah. if you were going to be raped, would you rather be date <laughs> raped or stranger raped at knife point? Yes or no? But this is what <laughs> –
0: Yes or no? The first one wants the yes or no question. <laughs> okay, either
1: which or. Which of these two
0: things would you? Which of these two things would you prefer? <laughs> yes or no? Um, I think I think our man Dick does happen. <laughs> Dick Dawkins. I'm like I'm in I'm in favor of just asking questions. I, I'm on record as being in favor of it, but you can't just be like. I'm just gonna go out here and rake the rapes. And why <laughs> are people mad at me? I don't get it. Well, Jesse, it was actually in a thread. It was a follow-up to the pre-
1: the prior tweet. Mild pe- pedophilia is bad, violent pedophilia is worse. <laughs> if you think that's endorsement of mild pedophilia, go away and learn how to think.
0: He's saying mild pedophilia is better than violent pedophilia?
1: Yeah, and so this so this <laughs> this goes back to uh I think this was in 2014, maybe 2015, he, in an interview, he said that he had been the victim or the survivor of mild pedophilia when he was a boy. So when he was a boy, he had a te- – this was in an interview. He said that he had a teacher who stuck his hand in his pants, and it was a sort of mild pedophilia, and he wasn't scarred by it. And that uh, – <laughs> a lot of people didn't like that. But it's also probably – he's talking about his own experience. It's also probably true. Um, you know, and this is just it's, – it's like a very uncomfortable reality to grapple with that, like yeah. – Some there can be there can be incidents in one's life that seem traumatic or should be traumatic, but just aren't for some people.
0: Yeah. And well, there's this whole history of like um, a researcher sort of got destroyed in the I want to say late 90s, early 2000s. I probably have this wrong, but he basically published research suggesting that um, a lot of victims of child sex abuse didn't have long-term problems yeah. as a result. Uh, right. I have not looked into this research. I just mentioned Alice Drager's book that we constantly recommend, Galileo's Middle Finger. But people assume that when you say that, you're saying like, oh, therefore pedophilia is good, which is sort of silly.
1: Right, right. It's just not the same thing. You can have it, it – there can be something that can happen to you that just doesn't register as traumatic.
0: That happens. It happens. Well, well, it's like it's like if, if I say some people – drink heavily and drive and get home safely. And then you're like, oh, so you're saying it's good to drink and drive? Like, no, that's a totally right. different thing.
1: It's yeah. just a factual statement. Anyway, it did not go yeah. over uh, well. Jezebel in particular, not happy about that. Jezebel um,
0: was unhappy I know. with someone's tweets? Uh-oh. I know.
1: Shocking. Um Okay. More best of Richard Dawkins. Um This one, I think, is more legitimately offensive. He said... Uh, he's responding to someone who said to him, I honestly don't know what I would do if I were pregnant with a kid with Down syndrome, real ethical dilemma. And Dawkins responds, abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it in the world if you have a choice.
0: Yeah. It's getting getting a little (laughs) eugenic
1: It is, and and Down syndrome is not like being born without a brain. You can still have a like very high quality of life with Down syndrome. It's, that one's like legitimately more more offensive. Um, but regardless, the tweet that you know that made the the big atheist group uh, revoke his word was this one specific to questioning um the dogma about transracialism versus transgenderism.
0: It is interesting how that works. Like some issues, uh. I mean, this is, this shouldn't be news, but like some issues you can, you can say offensive shit, but there's certain hot button issues at every moment where for some reason those are the things where, you know, you'll have, uh, armed goons show up to your house to take your award away, if my understanding is correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and other people have pointed this out, but two of the other recipients of this same award are Margaret Sanger, who we talked about in the last episode, who was a eugenicist, and Alice Walker, who is an actual anti-Semite, as well as Dan Savage, who has been on this podcast, so his award probably should have been taken away as well. Um, Okay, so anyway, so this is interesting for a couple of reasons. For one, it's just sort of like deeply ironic that the atheist group is... Uh, penalizing someone for the crime of blasphemy. (laughs) Yeah. Sarah Didham, a UK feminist, uh, she had a great comment on this. She said, "To prevent this kind of awkwardness, the humanists ought to set up some kind of panel to inquire into p- people's beliefs. They could even give it a cool name like the Inquisition." <laughs> um, and then it also just speaks to sort of broader trends within the atheist movement, which has gone through its own sort of, like lots of uh, lots of tension and its own sort of awakening in recent years. Um, Dawkins, as well as uh, Sam Harris and some other prominent atheists or new atheists have been criticized a lot by fellow atheists for for one thing um their uh their comments on on islam um they think islam is a violent religion um they're also they also criticize all religion um but of course like you criticize islam and it you you know it brings in all of these claims of islamophobia rather than like criticizing the or the religion it is often perceived as criticizing the people themselves who are adherents of this religion um there's a woman named sarah hater who i've interviewed before who is a former former muslim she's an american um, from texas and she's a she's an atheist and she told me i interviewed for her for the stranger and she told me that one of the things that was like hardest for her to sort of wrap her mind around was that When she talks about the problem of, like, Islam's treatment of women, and of course this is not – this is a generalization, this is not – it is not true that every, like, Islamic society is terrible to women, but some of them certainly are, Um, she – didn't find a lot of support among, among atheists um, because of this like fear or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not a fear. Maybe it's a genuine, a genuinely held belief that criticizing Islam is, uh, is, is bigoted. Um, there's also been lots of tension within the new atheist movement about sexism, uh, me too. So Dawkins has gotten dinged for, dinged for a bunch of stuff as have uh, a few other of his, his uh, contemporaries.
0: I, I've never looked deeply into the um it, it, this whole atheism thing surrounds atheism plus, yeah. which is like atheism plus social justice. I think it became an incredibly toxic internet uh, conflagration. Scott Alexander Siskind wrote what I thought was a good article that was just like, why should atheist communities like take up these other causes? They're they're atheists. They might disagree on these other causes, but it is. I don't know. I mean, this could be true of like some uh, strains of ideologues in general but some social justice people sort of seem to think that like every space should be about the subjects they care about
1: right totally and it does there is just this sort of like not just the irony of this group you know condemning a group that is that really is rooted in 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 free inquiry and in in and freedom of speech you know it's To be an atheist is in some ways to go against, or at least it has been in some ways to really go against the grain of of predominant, at least American thought. Um, And so there is this sort of, this like real irony of them, of them making these statements against um, speech. You know, Dawkins last year, he was deplatformed from, uh, from a debate society at Trinity College. Um, you know, the, uh, at the time, one of the, one of the leaders of this, this group said, the comfort of our membership is, par- is paramount. Um, <laughs> so, this idea that like a debating society thinks that there should be a safe space for its members, um, it just, it, it is like, it's another example of this sort of great awakening and how it has uh, infiltrated lots and lots of different institutions and movements and ideologies um, it, it, around the West.
0: It's so weird to me the the ignorance atheists show when they say there's no God when like anyone who looks at the evidence, there are clearly seventeen gods. There's no other way to interpret just the Exactly seventeen. So exactly seventeen. And I I, you know I don't want to overstate this, but I think people who believe in sixteen or eighteen should be put to death.
1: Jews are sort of atheists, right?
0: We are very into Adonai, the big man upstairs. Oh, is that his name? Well, I have very little, yeah, I have very little faith in him. But um, you, we're we're religious Jews are as into God as anybody. Trust me.
1: All right, Jesse, anything else we should say about Richard Dawkins and his prosecution for thought crime?
0: No, I just hope when I'm at his age, I am uh, still that ornery and or horny. Either way,
1: <laughs> and still tweeting.
0: Still tweeting. He he does tweet through it. You got to give him that. Uh, but no, he does. That was, that was a... Interesting story.
1: Uh, what did you think of his, his little sort of tacit apology? I was a little disappointed in that.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, his whole brand is just unapologetically tweeting question, <laughs> questions, ranking rapes and pedophilias. So, yeah, that seems a little bit out of character, maybe.
1: All right, moving on. Jesse, this Mother's Day, forget stale presents like cards and flowers and breakfast in bed and singing telegrams delivered by clown in a monkey suit. And get your mom something she'll appreciate for the rest of her life. A butthole so clean you could snort coke off it.
0: I assume you're talking about the Hello Tushy Modern Bidet Attachment and not a roll of toilet paper?
1: Exactly. Toilet paper is so last year. And honestly, doesn't mom deserve better than a few sheets of double
0: ply? She sure does. This Mother's Day, show mom who loves her the most by gifting her a brand new Hello Tushy 3.0 Modern Bidet Attachment.
1: Mama already got a Hello Tushy on her pot? upgrade her to the new Hello Tushy 3.0. If she's new to the revolution, help her join millions of happy Hello Tushy customers right now for a clean butt with every flush.
0: This Mother's Day, give the gift of a clean butt. Go to hellotushy.com/barpod to get 10% off plus free shipping. This is a special offer for our listeners at hellotushy.com/barpod for 10% off.
1: That's hellotushy.com/barpod and mom, you're with it.
0: Katie, what are your thoughts on... Race.
1: Oh God, Jesse. Oh God. Why? Are you, why do you have to do this to me after I got my COVID shot? I think I'm starting to have the hot flashes, or is it cold flashes? I'm having both.
0: Flashes, just flashes in general.
1: I'm having. I'm having. I'm flashing. I'm. I'm having <laughs> flashers right now.
0: I'm flashing people left and right. It must be the uh, the COVID vaccine flashes. Um,
1: you know th- that is one thing to look forward to after the vaccine is br-
0: the bringing black flashers. <laughs> yes, we don't have enough flashers, uh, peeping toms, perverts of all stripes, and I just stay <laughs> indoors because of this fucking pandemic and I miss them.
1: Yeah, you got to keep your mask on and take your clothes off.
0: All right, so I want to talk about this really interesting uh, paper that came out. It's a preprint, meaning it hasn't yet been peer-reviewed, but it was getting some attention online because it's just, uh, it's interesting. So we've talked a little bit on this podcast about how racism is real, race is important, but in recent years, especially, I'd say since Trump's election, it does seem like we've sort of gotten to a point where progressives it could be argued insert race into absolutely everything right
1: absolutely everything, and there's this idea that seems to be spreading by the minute that racism is in the air, that white supremacy is literally in the air, and it infuses everything that we do everything
0: yeah and and one of the interesting potential consequences of this is there's a fair amount of political science research showing that when you Make policy arguments in explicitly racialized terms, um, there are a lot of white Americans who often are a little bit racist. And if they identify an issue with helping black people, that is likely to turn them off. And, you know, we live at a time when, like, it seems like this is the way we talk about everything, even very specific niche geopolitical issues like, like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You often see that put into this, like, American style white supremacy box, climate change, constantly treated as a racial issue, issues where you would want to get a lot of people on the same page, maybe even regardless of whether they're liberals or conservatives. And um, part of the reason for this is like white liberals. There's a great piece by Matt Iglesias uh, call, about the so-called great awakening in Vox from a ways back. We're basically at a point where a lot of white liberals are further to the left on racial issues than black Democrats, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so two Yale researchers decided to try to measure whether and to what extent uh, framing things in terms of class versus race or race and class affects people's uh, level of receptivity to progressive messaging. So if you argue we should do X – does it help to say we should do X because it will help black people or fight white supremacy? This was a joint effort from uh, Micah English. She's a PhD student in the poli-sci department at Yale. And Joshua Kala, uh, also at Yale, he's an assistant professor of political science and statistics and data science. Uh, can I do a quick side story about Josh Kala? Yeah, please do. So back in 2015, the I think the first feature I ever wrote that got a little bit of national attention was about this young researcher who had published a groundbreaking story about how to get people uh, more in favor of gay marriage. Just astounding results of this sort of uh, intervention that that flipped people to support gay marriage. It was one of the craziest academic scandals you'll ever see. It turned out he basically just made up this survey data. And Josh Kala, who's, who's the guy who co-authored this thing we're talking about, was one of the, the researchers who discovered this fraud. And um, I'll, I'll include a link to the story. Like it, it has to do with wonky statistics stuff, but it's really interesting just the way they track down these errors. Like these kids who are like – it's annoyingly young, probably 25, 26, just uncovered this massive scientific fraud. And that's more impressive than anything either of us uh, will ever accomplish. I we have
1: a podcast.
0: <laughs> I have a podcast. Oh, God. When bars open back up. We haven't had bars open since I started this podcast. I haven't been able to just go up to people and be like, hey, I'm Jesse. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a podcast. It's no big deal. <laughs> hey, ladies.
1: I think people will just see you and they see white men and they know you have a podcast.
0: White man in Brooklyn, the odds are really good. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: Okay, so that side issue about Joshua Colla, he's a very impressive guy. So basically, these two researchers, they took 5,089 people online and they assigned them randomly uh, to hear about different issues to hear either a race condition, a class condition, or a race and class condition. Can I read a little text just so we can get specific about uh, what exactly they did? Please do. Okay, here's the example they use with housing. Everyone heard this part. Some Democrats are proposing a housing affordability policy that would help ensure that every American has a place to live. The policy would allow for smaller, lower-cost homes like duplexes, townhouses, and garden apartments to be built in middle- and upper-class neighborhoods and would build new nonprofit homes. Everyone hears that bit. Then some people hear a a racialized version with lines like a century of housing and land use policies denied black households access to home ownership and neighborhood opportunities offered to white households. Connects it to white supremacy, intergenerational poverty, stuff like that. The class version – says things like, many working class, middle class, and working poor Americans spend over half their pay on shelter. 21 million American families over a sixth of the United States are considered cost-burdened, paying more for rent than they can afford. Then there's a race-class version that's sort of a hybrid of the two. It talks mostly about how black people have been impacted by bad housing policy but but connects it to class. Um, so I looked at sort of the results, and, and I read this paper, it seems like there is no advantage when it comes to any group, white Democrats, black Democrats, Latinos, uh, and any group. There's no advantage to either the race or the race and class framing. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing something because it just seemed like a very straightforward result. I sent a DM to the researchers. Here's what Micah English wrote back. Yes, correct. Even among black respondents, class framing was just as, if not a bit more, effective. In other words, even the group you would think would be most receptive to hearing about race, talking about race wasn't advantageous. She continues, so no groups where race or race and class perform better than class. No groups. What's your reaction to this, Katie? I mean, it's really interesting. And I th- like
1: a lot of the sort of chatter that I've seen online, this has been framed as like, peop- the reason for this is that people are racist. I haven't read the study, so maybe they get into this. My question is, Is this because people are racist, black people, white people, Latino people, all people are racist and they don't want, uh, you know, uh, race conscious policies or do they just hate like anti-racism woke sort of messaging? Is it just the ideology or does this show like actual deep-seated racism within society?
0: So my guess would be, so these are just 5,000 random Americans. These aren't, and most Americans are not really into the culture war muck. I asked a different version of that same question to Micah, which is, Is it fair to pin this on racism versus if you tell me about a new policy and then you tell me it's going to help black people, I might just be like, Well, what do I care? That's not going to help me. For what it's worth, she responded uh, saying that she thinks it's, quote, really difficult to disentangle self-interest and racism. She does think racism is a part of it. I think there's some uh, data. But
1: how would that explain why? How would that explain why black people are less?
0: I think for black people, it was just there was no mostly no advantage to talking about it that way. It didn't really turn them off. For whites, it did seem to turn them off.
1: Okay, so so the bigger lesson here for Democrats is pretty obvious.
0: You mean just, just framing things in terms of class?
1: Yeah. Stop fucking talking about race all the time. It turns people off. If you want to have policy victories, if you want to win elections, don't make everything about race.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I get, okay, a couple of responses to that. One is like this is just an experiment and and this, you know, might come down to a shift of two or three points on like a hundred point scale, something like that, Uh Bica was pretty, you know, confident that in the long run even a small effect matters because if you make a certain framing decision and then you have a million instances of of sending that message out into the world it could matter but it you know it's not really a real world experience the other potential counter argument is like politics isn't just persuasion it's also getting people fired up and when you think of like the most uh, engaged democratic Like voters and volunteers who are like, you know, Elizabeth Warren supporters, stuff like that. They love talking about race. So isn't there a risk that you would sap their energy if you didn't?
1: Yeah, but okay, Elizabeth Warren volunteers and and voters didn't win the election. You know, Joe Biden, who is not the woke candidate, Joe Biden, who um, has, of course, been vastly criticized for his prior policies on race he has certainly taken a woke turn he has certainly um since the election and and since the inauguration he talks about race a lot more he talks about anti-racism more um i think that's a mistake um if you want to continue to win elections i think it's a mistake i don't really give a shit if they alienate the small number of elizabeth warren voters versus bringing in a larger group of everybody else if that means that democrats are going to win elections
0: yeah, I, I do think it's like it's worth noting that you know even though Biden was the guy, this this probably for a 21st century election, there was a lot of talk of race, and and all the trajectories were bad in terms of non-white groups. Blacks went toward Trump, Latinos went toward Trump. What worries me is there's this real lack of humility among the people who are convinced this is the only way to talk about important issues. It, it seems like almost a religious mindset where no amount of evidence will convince him that you shouldn't necessarily always forefront race.
1: It's not just about forefronting race. It's this idea that if you do not want to forefront race, if you have a different perspective on uh, on anti racism, if you if you don't, if you're not Ibram Kendi, then you are an actual literal racist, and that turns people off. Um, people don't like to be called bigots. They don't like to be called racist, um, and maybe that's white fragility itself. Um, but they don't like it, and I think it. I, I think it. It will drive people uh, away from Democrats if that's the message that you're getting.
0: We've talked about this before, but I I do think when you look at, like, uh, since George Floyd's murder, just the extent to which all the coverage of police reform, you would think – that no white person has ever been wronged from a, by the police, and and even though there's there are disparities, we all acknowledge that. But there's vast swaths of the country that are mostly white and have very fucking corrupt police, and you're telling those voters this is not an issue for you, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do in politics.
1: After Micaiah, uh Bryant, the 16 year old girl who was killed by police in Columbus, Ohio, was killed, Chris Cuomo, um, the CNN dude, tweeted something about how you know white people aren't going to care about this until white children are killed. White children are killed by the police. There's this, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. This is really worth exploring, and we've talked about it before, but the Washington Post uh, police shootings database, you can select for different races by different years. I just, I explored it for a little while the other day, and, and black people are overrepresented relative to population, but uh, but the number of unarmed people killed by police is shockingly low compared to what I think the the average media consumer would believe. So in 2020, there were 55 unarmed people killed by police in 2020. And Micaiah Bryant, obviously that was this year, but she wouldn't have fallen into that category anyway because she was in the process of uh, attempting to stab someone else. So of those 55 unarmed people killed by police last year, 24 of them were white, 18 of them were black, eight were Hispanic, and then some some. Some percentage of them were unknown. This is a country with 330 million people, tens of millions of police encounters every year, And 55 unarmed people were shot and killed by the police in 2020. The database isn't perfect. This is police shootings. This doesn't include, like, George Floyd wouldn't have been represented in this database because he wasn't shot. Um, But still.
0: Or Eric Garner. Or Eric Garner.
1: So there are isolated other isolated occasions that aren't represented in this database. But we're still talking about a tiny, tiny number of people. This idea
0: that, like, cops are, like, left and right just gunning people down. It's, it's horrible. It should be lower, but it's just people – I don't know. There, there's some detachment from reality with regard to the actual numbers, as horrible as individual cases are. Did
1: you see – OK. So after Duante Wright was shot by police a couple weeks ago, uh, Chelsea Handler um, tweeted something like, why would any black person actually stop for the police if you have a 50 percent chance of being killed?
0: So irresponsible.
1: I mean there are there a are lot – there are way more – People in the U.S. are killed by cops and other Western nations. That is definitely true. This is a problem. But it is not... Uh, it is not entirely a race problem this is a problem that affects all races and the media is complicit in this I was listening to the uh, the coverage of NPR the NPR coverage after um, after the girl in Columbus was killed and it was like they were doing everything possible to not mention that she had a weapon and was about to stab somebody else so that leads to this narrative that that cops are just sort of like out hunting black people and of course black people are going to be scared if they hear this narrative all the time but the data just doesn't back that up.
0: Some of the coverage of that was completely horrific. I did, a, I did like a paid newsletter post about the Daily Beast. Like, the Daily Beast knew body cam footage was coming. They knew it was going to be released. Instead, they rushed up a story with these um, eyewitness and secondhand accounts. Eyewitness accounts are always a bad idea because they're often just wrong, especially doing something as horrible as a shooting. But the ba- Beast just... These completely false accounts, one of them from a witness who was like, Yeah, she had already dropped the knife. They just shot her anyway. I, again, just this idea that police are routinely executing people with no justification, which look, the worst of these shootings, like Tamir Rice or um, the killing of George Floyd, which was not a shooting, they are really, really horrible. But the, 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 it is fairly rare for people to be killed. I, I don't know, man. I, it just worries me that it, Watching media just be completely unable to report accurately on something where we have a video was so weird, and it's not the first time it's happened.
1: Yeah, totally. It's just it just really distorts the message, and I think this is this is really unfortunate because it also gives people, especially Black people. Um, you know the false impression that every time they inter- they they uh interact with a cop they're at risk of being killed you know there i think as i see it there are a couple different issues here right so there are police killings and then there are the consequences for police killings only about 2% of um of police who are involved in shootings or in killings are arrested uh, of that tiny percentage only about a third have been convicted so we're talking about only like in the dozens of cops who've ever been prosecuted successfully prosecuted um, for killing people that's a totally different issue than the question of whether or not police violence is this sort of or police shootings police killings or, or is this epidemic which I literally on NPR one of the hosts of morning editions literally said there was an epidemic of killing of police killings of black people that's not true you know we're talking about Literally eighteen unarmed black people last year. That is not an epidemic. Um, there were about a thousand people are killed by the police every year, and the vast majority of those are
0: people who are armed. There's definitely, obviously, things can do. Uh, we can do for police to be better at sort of de-escalating I, I, the thing that. And I, I am very skeptical. Of police. Police lie all the fucking time. Like we shouldn't get that twisted, but. Um, it just – you end up ignoring some of the main issues, one of which is just like the sheer number of guns, which I know there's nothing we can do about. So maybe that's why people focus on other stuff. But like you're not going to have a situation where cops don't feel at risk because there are so many guns around. I I don't know. Everyone would benefit from cops using force less. It, to, to treat this as just an issue for one racial group is even if they're uh, disproportionately uh, harmed by it. I agree with you. I think the messaging on this has been awful. I I hope more people follow up on this study. I'm sure they will. There are, of course, online some questions about the methodology. Some people disagreeing. But this, I think this fits both with, like, our intuitions about, like, you're trying to make as many people as possible care about an issue, not feel turned off by it. And it fits with past political science research. So I'm, I'm glad these guys ran this study.
1: Right. And then also, like, instead of people focusing or activists focusing on things that could actually be, be done, and especially in terms of prosecuting police, like the issues qualified immunity, police should not be immune from this. In Washington state, until recently, there was a law that required malice uh, for a police conviction. So you had, which it, it's impossible to prove. Um, so no police were ever convicted for police shootings. Um, police are often allowed to investigate themselves. That's not good. Um, and then there are all of these social forces, like, you know, police stonewalling investigators, prosecutors have incentives not to press charges because they work with cops all
0: the time. So these Please, are there's no major, there's no major city where there hasn't been a horrifically colorful police scandal, just the most awful corruption ever. I think in some places it's gotten better, but I just, yeah, I'm with you completely. I don't want people to interpret us as being like, yeah, the police, all police shootings are justified. They do a great job. It's just, you need to find a reality-based way to talk about this.
1: Yeah. And the media is really failing to do that. Um, Jesse, one of these, when I was looking at this database the other day, one of these, one of these recent shootings really stood out for me. Um, Have you ever heard of Judson Albom? Nope. On March 4th, 2021 in Jamesville, New York, he was um, shot by police. He was 17 years old and he had a toy gun.
0: Did not get much coverage. It should get coverage because that's terrible.
1: It's absolutely terrible. So, yes, and you uh, you will not hear about him because he is white. Uh, and Chris Cuomo, you know, saying that white people's kids are never killed by police. Well, three white children have been killed by police this year alone. And Chris Cuomo um, doesn't know about it. Because he doesn't fucking pay attention, um, you know. It's if only he had something, the power to do something about this.
0: <laughs> um, it was. It might have been a patron's only episode. I think you you talked about some horrible case near you where kid was like sitting on a bridge or something got shot.
1: Last summer, not that long after George Floyd was killed, uh, in the town next to me, there was a guy killed. He was sitting on a bridge, um, killed by police. And I've mentioned this before. This did made very little local news, no national news. Um, The Seattle Times, 13 miles across the water, didn't send a local reporter to cover the story, which is just, there is a reason people think that police shootings only happen to white people, because those are the only ones that you hear about. And Coleman Hughes has pointed this out a bunch of times. For every George Floyd, there's a near identical case of a white person being killed in a near identical way. You just never hear their names.
0: Well, part of the problem is like – I think I've made this point before, but police abuse, like quotidian police abuse is generally less horrible than someone getting murdered. It's just like bullshit arrests, horrible bail policies, a broken public defender system. And if you tell those stories, you'll see that that shit happens to white people millions of times. Of course, there's always discrepancies usually along race and class lines. But like it's such – especially in a country with so many white people who – themselves are facing some level of economic precarity, like to present this as a totally racialized issue is just bonkers bad messaging. And um, you're you're familiar with that sort of Freddie DeBoer, iron law of institutions idea, right? Have we talked about that before? No, we haven't. It's, um, I'll link to this essay he wrote. I'm, I, I've been hosting his essays on my own medium, or a few of them, for a while. I emailed him today, said that now that he has a subsack, he should just take them back and repost them. But the Iron Laws of Institutional Left argues that within institutions, people will do whatever they can to maximize their own standing within the institution, not with an eye toward accomplishing the institution's goals. So within progressive spaces, there's a very specific way of talking about race. That is how you get promotions and how you get noticed it might not work out in the real world. It might not convince anyone. But if you can become a powerful figure within your institution, that incentivizes you to talk in this totally stupid way. I mean,
1: (laughs) as always, Freddie DeBoer is probably onto something. You know, the, the interesting thing is that you never hear about this, but the biggest discrepancy when it comes to police violence or police shootings is not race. It's probably not even class. It's sex, right? So just I'm looking at the da- database right now. Uh, since 2015, when this database started, um, guess what percent of, of of females were shot and killed by police? Or guess what per- guess what percent of people who were shot and killed by police were female? Ten. Four.
0: Jeez, yeah, that's crazy.
1: Right. So we need equal representation. We need more women shot by police. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: The the male female crime stuff is really interesting, and that to me is where. Uh the idea that there aren't some behavioral differences just breaks down entirely because the the discrepancies in crime between men and women are so huge, especially violent crime. We are just testosterone poisoned brutes. Basically. You, you, fi- you, you fit in that category. I'm gonna. I've killed some people. Gonna- <laughs> I've killed some people with my with my tweets. All right, Jesse, anything else about this? No, uh, I'll include a link to the study. It's an interesting area of research. I hope progressive groups start to get the message because, like, I don't know, man. I also – the strongest lefty feelings I have are about America continuing to have a pretty – Unfair economic system, given how wealthy a country we are. And to make this all about race when having money solves many of these problems for you, not all of them, but many of them, uh, drives me a little bit crazy. And things have gone so far in that direction that I think we should rethink it.
1: Right. And it's just like we need to figure out what is actually the root, the many roots of, of police violence and focus on policy that will actually make a difference instead of repeating platitudes like defund the police, which will probably make the problem of violence worse, especially in communities um, that are most plagued by it.
0: Did you see the Bree Newsom tweets after the Columbus killing? Yeah. What was it again? She – I I don't even have any of me to pull it up. I'll get nauseous. She's basically like, you know, teenagers are going to get a knife fight sometimes. The police yeah. don't – this is after like uh, – you can't say for sure. This cop may have saved the girl in Pink's life. Seriously. that that This was like she was right there rearing up to stab her with her backed against a car. There was nowhere for her to run. It's outrageous to watch that video and be like, "Yeah, just let them have their knife fight, knife fights." That's what's seen. I mean, wh- who the fuck are these people? It's like they're on another planet. Oh,
1: like you've never gotten in a knife fight or two in your Boston <laughs> suburb, Jesse. That <laughs> synagogue, never, uh, never knife fight.
0: You misinterpreted the Torah. <laughs> get over, <it>. get him. <laughs> uh, back to odd and I always. Uh, all right, well another fun lighthearted episode about people getting murdered. Uh, you can reach out to us at block to reported podcast at gmail.com. We're on Reddit, reddit.com slash R slash blocked reported. Our premium Thing for lack of a better word that I can't summon at the moment. Patreon dot com slash blocked reported. Five dollars a month, you get at least three extra episodes a month. This next one we're going to record. Oh, it's going to be incredible.
1: Yeah, oh for sure. I definitely remember what you're talking
0: about. There will be. Uh, there's going to be some partial nudity. I I think. <laughs> <laughs> Some feet picks. Uh Also, please uh, consider checking out my book, The Quick Fix, Why Fad Psychology Can't Cure Our Social Ills, on Amazon or IndieBound. There's a couple of events coming up, um, one for persuasion later in May. And then I'm going to do something for the spectator actually. So keep an eye out for that. Please consider buying it or requesting it for a library. Same deal. Sales a sale. Katie, anything else? We
1: have a merch store. Go to barpod.org and get hoodies, tote bags, t-shirts, mugs. My blocked and reported mug broke the other day. I blame Moose. And I'm going to get a new one because it is such a good mug.
0: We had to, unfortunately, recall the blocked and reported gender reveal rocket pell grenade launcher.
1: (laughs) But you can still get your blocked and reported thongs. (laughs)
0: We should have thoughts. I still have no Blocked and Reported gear because I'm a lazy piece of shit, but I should fix that.
1: Yeah, you definitely should. You can just pay me directly.
0: Okay, I'll do it. Uh, $500 for a shirt, is that fair?
1: Exactly. That's it. It's a special price for you.
0: This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single, And remember, until Richard Dawkins clarifies his stance on asexual sex workers who are furries, we won't know whether or not he's a true ally.
1: And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember... Before you bring back the polycule after COVID, check everyone for herpes and lice.